sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 23, verse 43. I'm sorry, um, in, uh, <laughs> I'm in the 34, rather. I guess I'm dyslexic this morning, okay. Um, verse 34, where it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You know, the Bible tells us that as we live in the last days, and we are, because the scriptures tell us that, that the days are going to be particularly evil. In fact, the apostle says it like this. He says there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And we even say things like, well, I don't think things can get any worse. <laughs> and yet they seem to, don't they? And yet those words describe what we're living in in this world. I think one of the most traumatic things that I experienced when I was going through my childhood years was happened when I was in the sixth grade. And uh, many of you were not born yet. Some of you were. And maybe you were in the seventh, uh, sixth grade, too was the day that President Kennedy was assassinated. I remember where I was. I was in Mrs. Derrick's room. She taught English. And during the class, the teacher across the, uh, the hall came into our room, whispered something into Mrs. Derrick's ears. She went to a radio, and she turned it on. Nobody could hear it except her. And then she started writing on the board, and I just remember this, she wrote Dallas. And then she wrote some other things. I don't remember that, but I just remember Dallas. She listened a little bit longer, and then she shut off the radio, and she said, President Kennedy has been shot in Dallas, Texas. Even in sixth graders, there was kind of a pall that uh, overtook our room. We didn't know what to think. The bell rang, so we had to go to the next class. That was science class, Mr. Sobeck's room. And that's when the secretary of the school went from room to room to room to room, and she stuck her head into Mr. Sobeck's room, and she said, the president has died. Hmm. We all went home, got on the bus, got off the bus at my house, where I lived, went in, turned on the TV, and there was Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite was in Moscow at that time when the assassination took place. And uh, they had him on. And as part of a news story, he went, he went down into the streets of Moscow and asked Muscovites, uh, what, what do you think of the fact that uh, President Kennedy has been shot? And I remember one burly Russian man who could speak a little bit of English. I could hear him say, well, that happens a lot in your country, doesn't it? He didn't say it that clearly. <laughs> yes, it does. 
But Mr. Muscovite, it happens in yours too. You know, that was the day, those were the days of the Soviet Union. And even today in Russia, Russia, the government owns the press. They don't put in things like that to make their country look bad. But things get pretty seriously wrong. And sins are committed. We live in that kind of world, and we're guilty of it too. And we have to say there's much too much bitterness and rage and anger. There's too much stealing. There's too little respect for life. And we certainly didn't learn all those things from Jesus. Not at all. Because Jesus teaches us to love. And Jesus teaches us to forgive. As I said, we're going to go through the different phrases that Jesus uttered from the cross, and this was the first. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. And from these words, we can certainly understand the big burden that Jesus bore for us. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Those words hardly sound like they would be coming from someone who has been put, into, put onto a cross, who is basically going to die for something he didn't do. You know, even godly people, when, uh, when they're struggling with life and they're asking the question, why? We're not always ready to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. In fact, we may even strike out, just like Job did. A man of God. A man of God. And yet he was angry at his friends because his friends were accusing him. You've done something, Job. Or how about someone like Elijah? A prophet of God. A prophet that the Lord had sent to speak to his people. But nobody would listen. And what does he say? He was ready to throw in the towel. Or how about Jeremiah in the same kind of role as God's prophet? And he didn't understand. He didn't understand why he was even there. What he should be doing. Lord, I give up. They weren't ready to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. But then there was Jesus. <laughs> they're on the cross. Suffering for our sins not his own, put there by wicked, evil people, and he cries out, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. If there was someone who was in the position to exercise divine retribution, Jesus was in that position, wasn't he? For all those people who had dissed him and hissed him, he prayed, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. For the soldiers who put him up on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Incredible, isn't it? Isn't it? And, and yet when you think about this, you, know, you think about other times in the scripture when uh, that really wasn't the case. And what I mean by that is this. Remember the time when 250 sons of Korah 
had, uh, had uh, basically mutinied against God's leaders, Moses and Aaron. And the 250 sons of Korah, what happened to them? There was a, a big old chasm that opened up and they fell into it, their possessions and all of their family. Why didn't something like that happen on the cross, beneath the cross? Or how about the 450 prophets of Baal? The ones who said that the Lord God, Jehovah, is not real. The ones who defended Baal, this awful, ugly, sensual God. But we know how that one ended, didn't we? God sent fire down from heaven. The 450 prophets of Baal were destroyed. Why didn't something like that happen when, uh, when these people, these enemies of Jesus, were hissing and dissing him on the cross? Or how about those 42 children? Remember that story? 42 children were disgustingly making fun of the bald-headed prophet Elisha. And God sent two bears. And you know the rest of that story. Why didn't something like that happen at Golgotha? You know why? Because Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they were doing. You know what was where the uh, enemies of Jesus were standing. You know what they were doing? But yet the Lord Jesus called out for God's mercy. We call it God's grace. And here we are, deserving what the sons of Korah had received, what the prophets of Baal received, what the 42 children received, because we're sinners before God, and yet the Lord would pray for us and did pray for us. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. We can ask this question. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, who are the they? Who are the they? Well, let's begin with those soldiers. The ones who brutalized Jesus, the ones who bludgeoned Jesus, the ones who bloodied Jesus, the one who, who, uh, who uh, jammed that crown of thorns on his head, the one that made him wear that purple, purple robe, mocking his, uh, his royalty. He prayed for them, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Or we think about the, we think about the people the people who loved it when Jesus was out there doing miracles, when Jesus was feeding thousands, when Jesus was healing and raising the dead, but when it became very clear that he was not going to be the king in, in Israel, not the way they wanted, they yelled out, crucify him, crucify him, his blood be on us. Jesus prayed for them. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Or how about the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders? You know, they were the ones that instigated it all. They were afraid of Jesus' power. They were afraid of Jesus' popularity. They needed him dead. And they made it happen. 
They pushed the Romans to put him to death. Jesus prayed for them. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Or how about Pontius Pilate? The man whom the Lord himself put in charge, the Roman governor. No one gets into a position unless the Lord allows it. He had the opportunity to do that which was right, to let Jesus go. There was nothing that proved Jesus was guilty of anything. But he got cold feet. He wanted to do the politically correct thing. And he handed him over. Father, forgive him because he doesn't know what he's doing. Those are the people that were in the immediate area at the time. But you know what? When Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, Jesus is praying for us too. Jesus is praying for all people for all time. Because why did Jesus go to the cross? To pay for the sins of the entire world. All the sins that had ever been done, all the sins that would ever be done. He was praying for you and for me. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. So there on the cross, Jesus prayed for all. And you know what? He not only prayed for all, he paid for all too. You know, Jesus came as the Messiah, the anointed one. We know this from Bible, right? Messiah, the anointed one. Who was anointed? Prophets, priests, and kings. Jesus was all three of those, but here on the cross, he was carrying out his priestly office, his high priestly office. What did the high priest do? Well, number one, the high priest that was elected for the children of Israel would always intercede for the people. Well, Jesus was the great high priest. He interceded for us between God and between us. He stood in between. And the high priest did something else that was of utmost importance. And that was when people brought their sacrifices to the altar. He would be the one to, uh, to place those, to sacrifice those animals on the altar, to make atonement. And yet it really wasn't atonement. It was a picture of atonement. Picture of the great high priest who wouldn't be offering animals, who wouldn't be offering lambs and goats and bulls, but offering himself as the sacrifice for all, the great Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the entire world, of the sins of the entire world. <clears throat> you all know the word Auschwitz. That was the first German concentration camp and probably the most famous concentration camp in Germany during World War II. And in that camp, countless people were put to death. Their bodies were incinerated. It was a true event that happened that there was an attempt to break out of that camp. The riot was basically put down. But the commander of the camp decided 
that someone had to be an example. Actually, it was more than someone. There were ten. Ten men were chosen, and they were brought out before the camp itself, and they were going to be put to death. One of the men, if you look it up, you can really find the name. He was a Polish man. I can't pronounce his name. But he fell on the ground, and he pleaded with the commander. He pleaded with the commander, don't kill me, don't kill me. I have a big family. i got to take care of them. The commander looked absolutely uh, cold toward this man. And it was then that another man stood in front of this man. His name was Maximilian Kolbe. He was a Polish priest. And he said to the commander, put me to death instead of him. And the commander listened. He wasn't shot. He wasn't gassed. He was sent to a prison cell to die of hunger. People in Europe, people in Germany and Poland particularly know this name. He's a real hero. He died for someone else. You know where I'm going. Jesus died for everybody. Jesus died for you. He died for me. Not one sin escaped. Not sin. One sin was overlooked. He died for all, for all people, for all time. And yet, and yet, that's almost hard to believe, isn't it? In fact, George Barna, I don't know if you know who he is. His organization does all kinds of uh, surveys and polls. It's kind of like George Gallup, but uh, George Barna does it among churches, and he kind of keeps track of the trends that happen within the church itself. And sometimes his polls are just really interesting. And he asks this question of Christian people who went to church on a regular basis. He asked them, are there sins that God does not forgive, that are so big that God cannot forgive? 32% of the people that he asked said, yes, there are certain sins that are so big that God does not take them away. He also asked people who said that they were Christian but were not going to church the same question. And they said there are certain sins, 40%, there are certain sins that are too big that God does not forgive. Listen to the following passages. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And then the Lord speaks through the prophet and says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Kind of straightens things out, doesn't it? He died to pay for the sins of all. He prayed for all people. He paid for all people. And that certainly gives us a pattern, doesn't it? On how we too should conduct our lives. That when it comes to being forgiven, how much 
easier it is then to forgive? Don't you think? Jesus forgives us. I always remember, I always remember this from years and years ago. In fact, it was my first church. And uh, we went through the synod program, building program, and that was during times of high inflation, so they didn't have a lot of money to lend out. So uh, <clears throat> we had to build small churches, 2,100 square feet. We called WEF units, Worship Educational Fellowship. We put everything in there. We had Sunday school, you had to change it all for worship. Our church was growing. And I remember we, we had to stick chairs everywhere. And in fact, when we didn't have communion Sundays, they came right up to the front. So that when I was standing here, I could almost grab someone in the front row. And one Sunday I almost did. Family was visiting. They had two sons. I'll never understand why the parents allowed those two to sit together right in front of me. And pretty soon I saw one elbow the other one. And the other one start elbowing, elbowing back. And pretty soon they were really going at it. And the funny part, I was preaching about love that Sunday. <laughs> Talking about having a positive effect on these kids. They love to do it. You can get on each other's nerves, huh? Yeah, that's how people are. It's not just kids. It's adults, too. We carry our grudges. Name me a church. You have to prove this to me. Name me a church where someone didn't leave it somewhere along the line because there was a grudge that was being carried out. And they didn't want to be with that other person. They didn't want to work it out. They didn't go to the cross and seek forgiveness. They didn't want to do what they needed to do and what God tells people to do. To go to the cross for forgiveness and the power to forgive. It happens, doesn't it? But God forgives and he forgets. And that's a pattern for us. Remember Stephen, the deacon, the man who was stoned, the man whose life was lost because he preached the truth about Jesus. And before the last stone hit him to take him out of this world once and for all, he said this to the Lord. He said, Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. There was a king of France, Louis the, Louis the 12th. He was a good king. He even cut taxes. He was really concerned about the people. As he ascended to the throne, he uh, got a little notebook or some paper or whatever, and he wrote down the names of his enemies. And in front of the names, he put a little cross. Well, word got out, they had leaks apparently then too, that he had prepared this list for the enemies, and he was putting a cross in front of each one. His enemies thought they were dead meat. He was coming after them. And they began to flee. Louis Twelfth heard about this. And he sent out word that wasn't it at all. What he was doing was this. That the cross would remind him of the sacrifice that Jesus performed on their behalf. 
And it reminded him to pray the prayer that Jesus did. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And here we are. Here we are. Same Savior. Same forgiveness. Same grace. Same mercy. Forgiven by the Lord. Not only to know it that we stand right with God. Because he made it so. But also allows us the power, the inspiration, the motivation, the reason. Then why we too need to forgive one another. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.